Do you want to talk about how you're feeling right now? Oh, so many questions. What does this mean? What do I do? <laughs> Go on! Tell them what you think! I liked it. I think your calculations may have been off. I think it's all right. I just have a lot of feelings. This pleases me. These are perfectly normal feelings. Do you even know what you sound like when you talk like that? Now, shall we begin? All right, folks, welcome back to the Real Feels podcast. And today is is it is a long awaited day. We are finally doing our Patreon chosen movie. And I, I must I must apologize for we apologize. We apologize for many, many delays. But you know what? Uh, after after long, long waits, uh, it's finally here. We are going to be reviewing 1998's The Legend. Of the 1900. Though I, I say that like it's like an adventure film or something. <laughs> well, maybe it's more like Legend of the 1900s. Legend of the 1900s. Oh, yes. Jolly, That's quiet. Jolly good. All right. Well, we are going to get into some bean footage and we will join you right back. Rich ass bastards. Can't lose nothing but cigarette butts and dirty-ass handkerchiefs. Don't forget nothing unless they owe you some money. What in the scut you doing here? Hey, Daddy! What are you going to call the Nino? I found him the first month or the first year of this friggin' new century. So I calls him 1900! I've been hearing a lot of talk about a guy. He's supposed to have been born on this ship and never been off it since. <laughs> Crazy story. 20 years without ever setting foot on land. 27. They say this guy makes music that's never been heard before. I've heard of him too. On piano! Danny Bergman, T.D. Lemon, 1900! You're the one who invented jazz, right? That's what they say. And you're the one who can't play unless you have the ocean under your ass. <laughs> the world is out there. Nothing but a gangplank to cross. Few stupid steps. America! To leave this ship, marry a nice woman, and have children, all those things in life which are not immense, but are worth the effort. The sky's the limit, Mr. 19. You mind if I call you 19? I was born on this ship, and the world passed me by, but 2,000 people at a time. The Legend of 1900. Well, The Legend of the 1900. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I got to say, first off, I had never heard of this film. 
Uh, neither had I. And, uh, and it was e- completely <laughs> off the radar for me. And, and even from, you know, back when it was originally uh, suggested by by our patron, um, which I'm still not sure if they want us to reveal their name. So I'll just say, dearest patron. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Oh, well, this was one of two. This, this was one of two. So it was either The Legend of the 1900 or Always. And I had never seen Hallway, Always, but I did watch it over the winter break. And that uh, is the one with Mel Gibson where he gets like, no, 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 no. no. Uh, it's, maybe it's, I'm saying it's forever young. Uh, always is with um, uh, John Goodman, and I'm Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. I'm a ghost of a fire pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Legend of the 1900 just seemed kind of a, a better fit because I had already ordered, you know, the DVD of it. It was very hard at the time to find a screener, or not a screener, but like a streaming service that even had it. So that's what we decided on, and you know what? It's it's an interesting story. Uh, if anyone is not familiar, a boy is discovered on uh, a 1900 ocean a baby, liner. The child, a, the child, a dictini. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's and he's raised there. He's raised there for his entire life. And one night he decides that he's gonna like venture up from the lower decks where everyone's shoveling coal and making sure all the rich aristocrats are nice and warm and toasty. Well you're skipping the part where I'm his skipping father, a lot of things. Where his father I'm skipping a lot of things has rigged uh, the same crate that he was found in the same lemon crate the that lemon he was founded, uh, in onto the gears and just yes. some sort of rocking apparatus, which uh, was kind of genius with, with some sort of like uh, oil can milk dispenser. Uh, that, oh, like, that like you would for like a like a guinea pig or a hamster yeah, yeah. at the ready. So he's raised on the boat. One night he just finds himself in, I guess, like the dance hall, and he starts playing the piano. The grand well, hall. Well, the grand hall. Well, lo and behold, he is a musical prodigy. Okay, like just a savant on the piano. And from that point on, it's like he permanently joins the oceanic jazz band. Pretty much. Yeah, yes. and. The the kicker to the story itself, which it's like a sea bound. He never monk. right, like he never leaves the boat. And folks, we're not talking about like oh, that's that's just a a little bit of uh, of uh, you know oh well, he just hasn't gone off the boat in a couple of trips. He's never left the boat. He never leaves. He the never boat. left the boat. Never. He tried to leave the boat. He did, but still got halfway down the gangplank, turned around. And went back in. So I, I do love the, um, the the intro with our narrator who's saying like, "There's always one person. There's always the first. And I really, I really like how that draws you in because you know everyone's just kind of standing off to the side and you know staring out into the ocean and the fog and anything like that. These are all of like the immigrants and the passengers as well who are aboard this ocean liner and they're coming into New York Harbor. If you hear a low hum. That is my refrigerator in the background. Um, and there's all, he always says, like, there's one person who always notices, like, the Statue of Liberty first or spots land first and just screams, America! And, like, the entire boat just, like, goes up in an uproar and cheering and hooting and hollering. And you know what? That's a, that's a good, like, feeling moment. I mean, it, it, it kind of gets you into it. And I, and I really, really yeah. enjoyed that. Now. Because I feel like if, if if the people were on the boat now, they'd just be sort of like, America. America. <laughs> it says we dock in 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting where you think 
this man's story would actually have like some great depths and there would be, you know, super highs and lows and everything. It's a simplistic story. It really is. And I, I, I almost thought it was going to be a bit more. Not that I'm disappointed that it wasn't more, but it's kind of weird where I'm trying to grasp it, like how to like embellish this and kind of like really sell it. And honestly, it is such a simple story. Just a man is on a boat. He never leaves. He plays the piano and that's his life. So I have a food analogy like I, I <laughs> like usually you usually do. do. Um, I mean, there is there is a lot happening with this movie that kind of vexes me a little bit because it, it has the foundations of 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 everything that you would sort of expect you know a good movie to have so we have the uh the acclaimed director uh it was his first uh english language movie giuseppe Tor- tornatori uh if you've seen 1988 cinema paradiso that was sort of his his uh, magma opus uh at the time we have one of the real feels most favorite composers of movie scores, mm. Ennio Morricone. Which is why I was super surprised I'd never heard of this. I know. Uh, and then as far as the, you know, we've got Tim Roth uh, as sort of the, the older Nuno Cinco, the mm-hmm. older 1900, or the adult 1900. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Bill Nunn, who plays his... Uh, adopted Adopted dad? father. Yeah. His, adopted his father. Papa, which uh, he, <laughs> his, was, his papa? he was in... Uh, he, you would recognize him. He yeah. has been in a lot, but he's never really been in a, in a, in a starring... It's always the supporting role. Main roles. role. And then uh, you've got a man named Pruitt Taylor Vince, who, again... You would recognize he's a, a sort of a famous character actor, mm-hmm. bit parked actor. One of my favorite roles where he was in HBO's uh, Deadwood in a supporting piece. Uh, an actor uh, that has a condition called nystagmus, which mm. is uh, involuntary side to side, rapid side to side movement. So if you've seen him in Deadwood, I, you've yeah. seen him in Mississippi Burning. Uh, and you've probably seen him in a whole host of supporting TV and movie roles. Uh, he plays. I like him a the, lot. He uh, plays uh, Max. He plays essentially our narrator. Yeah, the narrator. Yeah. Uh, and then he plays sort of the the trumpet playing yes. accompaniment and best friend of. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his only like real friend. Well, I mean, he's got the entire. He's got the crew below, I should say. Yeah, he's got the Dr. Hans Spiergen Witzen Bertzen <laughs> Turken Tagen. The most long German name. Uh, the captain, uh, who is also sort of the mother in this relationship out of the, right. the, the father. Um, to which they, you only, they only ever call him like 1900. That's yeah. it. The, the, well, the I, I like Danny, the, the dad. I like the, Engl- I like the Italian version better. The Nuno Fine. Cinco. Yeah. But I mean. But the captain screams like 1900. Uh, yeah. And even Max like has to scream out 1900. Now, Danny, played by Bill Nunn, who had to name him. I don't know why it was like this trial and error. And it's weird to the spot where he is naming him. And then the development of when he puts him in the rocker. And then he eventually gets him out of the rocker. That whole sequence of events. It has the dramatic effort of like a stage play because it's so over the top and it's so campy because he's yelling to the guys up in the uh, like upper raptors and there are odd moments there's it is that. when he starts singing when he starts singing after the kid took a giant shit in his diaper and he's still and he's 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 walking with it i'm like go clean the baby he's still walking with him and singing 
go clean the baby. And then he like raises him up like Simba. And I'm like, clean the child. <laughs> the child. <laughs> the child. So um Peter you know, Peter Vaughn though. Yep. But this this mm. this movie uh is the at least the cut that Drew and I saw was 165 <laughs> minutes long. And for this scope of a movie, I feel it could have been cut literally in half. Uh, and so back to the food analogy. I, You know what? Honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll make a note of that. For the first, like, hour and a half, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't check the time. And it, I felt like I kind of just whizzed by. But that moment that I checked my clock and I'm like, oh, God, there's an hour left. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Oh, no, I shouldn't have looked. <laughs> so, um... Back to the food analogy. I mean, it is, you know, well shot, well mm. scored. Yeah. Uh, the set uh, and the setting. Four of the Academy show. Awards it was up for. Uh, you know, it's so it's sort of like, you know, you get this 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 sandwich on fresh baked bread that was baked that morning. Crispy on the outside, soft, <laughs> chewy on the inside. They run it through the garden. The, the guy is growing his own vegetables out back, you know, fresh, fresh Napa, you know, ca- cabbage. And, and he, he's made his own mayo and mm. he's marinated the tomatoes Pickled that go the onions on it. And, and, and the cheese he got from the cheesemonger down the street. And then in the middle is Oscar Meyer bologna. I was not going to say he made the sandwich. And then he left it too long <laughs> <laughs> because it, there's just it's it's an it's an empty bite to me. And I'm very sorry, Patreon. I know I know you picked this. I don't know if you picked this for us. I think they, for this reason, I think they no, no, no. I think they genuinely enjoy the movie, which is great. And I love the fact that people are going to love what they love. I can see the importance of things to tell with Tim Roth's character's story. But again, I don't know if it falls flat. I don't need I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it needs to go this long. And I, I'm wondering if it. Yeah, like it's not necessarily sticking the landing because everything, everything is building up to the fact that. So, again, 1900 played by Tim Roth, he, he doesn't get off the boat at all. And there's one chance that he is going to get off the boat and it's going to go. He's going after a dame. He's going after uh, he, uh, which, which which is which very is problematic, which is also she's also like very young because <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's because easily he, like in his like what, like late 20s. And she's like 16. Yeah. And he <laughs> sort of sneaks into the women's quarter. Oh, that was such and, a creepy and, scene. And kisses her on the it lips was and very peers at her. Uncomfortable. So, I mean, that now is has not aged terribly well. No. And for like the love interest, the reason he's going to get off the boat, there's just not. A whole lot there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there are these inexplicable scenes that are that are odd. So the the first scene where the trumpet player is on the boat in the storm and he Tim Roth finds. Um, I love that scene. But it's so weird. It's I so don't out care. of It place. seems like a, okay, I thought it was almost like a dream sequence because of the way that they he takes the drunk uh, or not even drunk. He's like seasick. C- he's seasick. Yeah. Uh, Max to the the grand ballroom and he says oh oh please here and i you i love the the again the juxtaposition of like max is seasick and throwing up everywhere and then there's 1900 just like you know casually leaning to the right and, and, and he's that like, is some great shooting where he's you? just walking along because he knows and it and you he see the chandelier it. going and the guy is just like he's bopping on over the place but then he gets 
he, they take the brakes off the piano in this storm. <laughs> And it's I sort of like, uh, like I, I feel like they could have replaced the music with like, let's go fly a kite. Or like, they're just like, it's almost like this, uh, this, this uh, piano is on, a grand piano is on like a motor now where it's supposed to be going with the ebb, the ebb and the flow, flow of, the, of, of the boat, of the rocking of the boat. But it's just sort of like driving about the, the ballroom and then. The end of that is the it ending goes is crashing what kill, it through kills the window and then into the captain's cabin. It, that kills it for me because if they had, if they had like spun around, and again, it seems so much like a dream sequence because it's it's or if he'd like pulled out his whimsical. trumpet and he's like right. playing trumpet because notes he stopped he stopped feeling sick and it's fine. It's so whimsical and again so dreamy esque that if they had come to like a spin. And then they stopped when he like hits a high note and that's the end of it. Beauty and the <laughs> it's like they were dancing. Tale it's like they were dancing. But the fact that it rips through the glass doors and goes down the hallway and crashes into the cabin's cabin. And that's when he just yells, 1900! Like, it, Dennis! It's, I thought she was just I was like, Dennis the Menace! And you have to think to yourself, like, is he truly angry? Like, is he like, is he actually like seriously angry? He's probably never going to find another piano player like him. So he lets his shenanigans go. And there, there is <laughs> definitely a certain amount of magic right. to the movie. But the magic never really sort of develops. Mm. Or, you know, I, I sort of the ending is I thought that we were going to have sort of a, a little bit of magic at the ending. Um and it's it's not that way, uh, you know. The 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 one of the best things I could say about this movie is the piano duel scene, uh, which, if I might comment on. So we have the character played by Clarence William the Third, Jelly Roll Morton, who supposedly invented jazz. And folks, if you uh, <laughs> don't know who uh, Clarence William the Third is, yes, you do. Uh, if you've seen uh, Tales from the Hood, yep, uh, and also he played the drug dealer Samson from one of my favorites, Dave Chappelle's Half Baked. Samson, Samson, <laughs> Cuban B, yes, but. I didn't really understand this. And it's almost like it, it seemed so unprovoked that Jelly Roll. It came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere that Jelly Roll is coming onto the boat because he hears there's a fine piano player. Let me and, see that Jelly Roll. And people are saying like, oh, Jelly, Je Jelly Roll. Roll, he's better than you. And I'm thinking like, I understand that if you're defending what people say that you invented jazz and you're angry at this, but don't come onto the boat and act like a complete dick. Like this dude's done nothing to you. He's done nothing to anyone. All he does is play the piano. He's not even cutting records. And the one record he does cut, he breaks, he breaks it. And it's weird because like, I, I love the taunting of the, of the, the back and forth where Jelly Roll plays like this long, elegant piece. And then he leaves his cigarette on the edge always to where then he'll gracefully pick it up. The uh, the end of it still ashy and hanging on. And then he'll take a drag and he's done. And then, of course, at that point, for the second time, the second round, Tim Roth goes back and he plays the exact same piece. And but it's weird to the end. When Jim Roth finally says, like, all right, asshole, you asked for it. And I'm like, where's the hostility coming from? I don't understand the hostility. For most of the time, Tim Roth is, like, fascinated 
by Jelly like, Roll's like plane. A, like a man-child in a way. Well, like an like an angelic sort of man Right, child. like, I mean, he's, he's, he's fascinated with his playing, and he's like, he's amazing. Why would I want to lose to him? Or why would I want to beat him, I should say? Like, he, he deserves this respect that he so prominently says that he uh, is is owed but then again it's a random bit of hostility i don't get it's unprovoked yeah, why did the hoodlums have to come on and chase him around chase him down like come on man we just want to talk to uh, you you know and uh you know that was odd but that was i think kind of a cool thing where the last time that uh, 1900 goes up and sort of beats jelly roll he has an unlit cigarette that he perches on the edge of the piano. And then he plays the piano so fucking hard that he gets up afterwards, holds the unlit cigarette in the air, touches it to the piano strings. And the piano strings are so hot. So hot. That it lights the cigarette. And then he walks up to Jelly Roll and he's Sticks like, it in his mouth. I don't know how to do this. You do. And jams it into his mouth. Right. Like, I don't smoke it. You do. So go for it. I... I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like a stick it to you kind of moment. But again, it it seemed odd that it happened. I guess it's cool that it eventually did. I did like his uh, compatriots from down below who kept saying, like, did he win this did round? He win this did one? he win? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to the film. I don't think a lot is plot wise. Set design, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Costuming is great. Again, music shot. is fantastic. Beautifully shot. Still stuck in my head. Yeah. And. I, I can't decide whether or not it's, again, if it's 1900's story or if it's from the perspective of Max telling us what he remembers and his impact from 1900. And I, there are just a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sort of at the towards the beginning of the movie, uh, Max walks into a uh, an instrument shop who is owned by uh, Master Amon. Mm. From uh, HBO's Game of Thrones, a prolific English actor who's been in quite a lot of things, but that's that's the one I recognized him from. Um, and he's basically pawning or selling his trumpet. We don't know why Max has fallen on his luck. Uh, and then you know we hear this uh, this piece of music that is from the broken record that Max had hidden in the grand piano, and the grand piano also happens to be there because it's the piano. From from the ship from the Virginia yes from the same ship which had been turned into a hospital ship which I would have liked to have seen because it just sort of ended around the 1930s right like what then, happened to it how did they reassemble the ship how did they refurbish it for war where was 1900 hiding the entire time for it yeah. because he said he had to hide and come back out and play randomly for the for the patients and for the soldiers and then go back into hiding like. Where does he go? Does he have like, is it like a secret compartment? Is it a room? Now, they do show a room that he had and he had all the pictures and places that like they had traveled to or he had been to air, giant air quotes. And I mean, I think the biggest thing from this is that you take away a personal message of bubbles and boundaries and personal personal growth if it's if it's even available to you. And for Max, like Max doesn't get over the fact that like, this is what he did. He played jazz. He played trumpet. And without it, he's like nobody, but he has to move on and start another career because the boat is gone and there's nothing more for him. 1900 can't step off because this is the only life he's ever known. Which that is that's so flimsy. 
Um, and so a lot of the movie deals because the uh, Master Eamon also t- tells Max that, oh, well, they're they're destroying that boat, which, again, that doesn't make sense either. You would scrap a boat. You would cut it down to its its it keel, was, basically. I think it had already been gutted and, pretty well. And, well but, but scrap metal, you still would scrap it. You don't tow it out. And, Maybe and they don't have the time. Maybe it's not cost effective enough to like, it scrap it harbor. down. But anyway, but they Max knows that 1900 is still on this derelict, abandoned boat that Somewhere. they're going to blow up in the harbor. Uh, and so he's looking throughout the movie for 1900. He finds him at the end. Well, and as they search, he's telling more and more stories. And so we get flashbacks. Mm. So I guess it's an easy way to <laughs> say that, oh, this happened. Now sit. Now listen, I'm not going to lie to you. This is true. Listen up. And then flashback. But 1900, you know, he was, if he was born in 1900, and let's say it's post-war, let's say it's it's 1947, He's still sort of in the prime of his life. I'm sure with the help of some some good doctors and some loving friends, uh, he could get over this. But no, he just is like, well, there's, you know, the, the world out there, you know, the land is a ship too big for me. Uh, you know, just just leave me and blah, blah, blah. And then they tow the boat out. And they blow it up with 1900 still inside, which I don't get that. He's so con- you know, he's so content to go down with it, it. You know, it's like a dream, but it's only when you're asleep and it, you can't ever wake up from it. I, I don't know quite. Maybe there is. And I'm pretty good at, at finding the threads of uh, metaphor and of symbolism, but... In this case, I just couldn't find any deeper meaning to this. I just see it as someone who couldn't go beyond the means to which they had lived and been expected for and were comfortable with. Like their happiness was there. And with everybody gone from the boat, even soldiers that he could still play for. Like he had nothing and he but, didn't but he, he didn't he want could to go beyond still that. still deliver that happiness. Now, if if he had gotten off the boat one time. Well, Max, even, and, Max and tried played to get the him. piano and suddenly yeah. like his piano playing ability was was gone. It was all kaput. It, it was it could only happen while he was on the boat. Yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. But if I was Max in this circumstance, Max and even I, tried, he's and like, I, let's form I, a band. And, yeah. And I, if I loved uh, 1900 to the to the extent that you you feel that Max does. Yeah. Uh, I would have knocked his ass out and fireman <laughs> Car- carried his ass off the fucking out. boat. Um, I, so for 165 minutes, I feel like there needed to be more. Mm. There need to be some sort of resolution that made this make sense. Or maybe that's, that is the point. It is, it does. It's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. It is. There's again, so many things to draw him it's off. It's like a fairy tale. Yeah. There's so many things to draw him off the boat. And it's not that he ignores them, but that I don't think he gives the intrinsic value of him enough credit to actually be a driving force to get him off. You have a pretty girl that draw that immediately catches his attention. He tries to talk to her. He hears her whisper or say a quote to her friends, which is something that his adopted father had already said about music to him. And again, Max tries to get him off and say, let's go form a band. He's had plenty of ample opportunities. Like when everyone dis like departed from the boat, when they disembarked and like the crew, the captain, the the rest of the 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 coal shovelers, 
when his world leaves, I understand that he has the comforting arms of the bow and everything and the, and the sturdy rigid of the steel to keep him cradled. But man, like you, he doesn't have a life like the ship in the end is as empty as. I want to say story? his hope. <laughs> <laughs> the ship is as empty as his hope. And I think he it's all like, I mean, has he has he peaked? Like, is I think is that like his his moment? Like he thinks he's peaked. He can't do any better. He can't go any further because it's beyond his comfort zone. Yeah. But I mean, for a man who beat Jelly Roll, the, <laughs> you know, the inventor of jazz, I feel or like, so they say, Yeah, I feel like he could have like liberated it up or something. Sure. Like, he could have. Uh, but I mean, even the even the the, the uh, director of the jazz band, he's like, please, 1900, just the normal music. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, totally, man. Totally. 1900. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just I don't get the movie. It, the, the other thing I found sort of interesting was uh, this was a movie uh, done in English. Uh, mm. and the DVD you got was in Chinese subtitles because apparently it was very popular in China. Yeah, it was a weird it. It was a Chinese subtitles. I think like the other op, uh, option for music or uh, audio was English, Italian, I think Korean was a was another audio format. And I'm like, where was this? Where did this come from? Thank you, Amazon, and your random finds. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of like Seinfeld. It's a movie about nothing, <laughs> but catchy music. But great music. Yeah. It's shot beautifully. It has little moments. Uh. You know, it's got good acting. I just, it just sort of. I felt it was going to sort of melt into this beautiful sort of sublime ending. Um, and it just is a, a rusted ship blowing up in the harbor. Uh, that is not my definition of a feel-good movie. Mm. I, well, I mean, again. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and folks, we're not about feel-good movies here on the field. <laughs> uh, not, not, we're just about the feels. <laughs> we're just about the feels, but my feels are definitely mixed. Hmm. Um, about this movie. It just, I feel like um, it was a movie or a screenplay that was written in Italian, <laughs> translated into Aramaic, <laughs> translated into Spanish, and then translated into English. And that's what they shot. I <laughs> uh, just, not quite sure what else to say about it. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of at a loss with uh, I'm kind of at a loss with it. I, I I didn't I didn't dislike it. I I actually I did I did enjoy the film a great deal, but I just didn't there, enjoy the length. There are moments that I know I shouldn't I shouldn't have looked at my my uh, phone <laughs> after the ninety minute mark without even realizing it. I don't know. I I think there are moments where it doesn't stick the landing. I think there's other moments that are just so engaging. Um, and, and most of the time, especially with things uh, with Ennio Morricone, like, uh, 1986's The Mission, love the music with The Mission, but there are songs that I pick out and I'm like, that's beautiful. That's, that's the, that's the thing I'm going to listen to over and over. With this, almost every single thing kind of just stuck with me. And I loved his beautiful piano playing. It is, but you know, the, there are inexplicable things. Like a lot of the humor is very non sequitur, uh, like the, during the, um, the duel 
Yeah. It's like the 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 woman's wig gets knocked off and the guy is, has dropped his cigar. There's, there's comical aspects that there are, are like, com- but they're not like slapstick. Yeah. Like over the top slapsticky. They, they are. Yeah. And, and then his father dies in a very abrupt and sort of non-fatal way where he just sort of falls into a pile of coal and then... Oh, no, they, no, 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 oh, no. The, th- the, the thing came back and hit him in the head. I know, but yeah. then he survives for three days and... Uh, the child 1900 is reading newspaper stories to him and he's, the father is laughing. And then the, then as they sort of pan away from the scene, the narrator says like, Oh, the doctor says that he probably would have survived if he wasn't laughing so much. Like, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) It's like, Oh, good. Does 1900 know that he killed his father? Like, does he, does he know that he's the reason he died? Uh, I don't know. Everything in his life uh, started and kind of ended on the boat. And I think that's just kind of how he, I don't know, maybe felt like it should be. But again, not sticking the landing. I enjoyed it, but it's not sticking the landing in a lot of aspects. Which is if he if they had shown like how many lives he touched or maybe if that one. Uh, right. Well, that one record had had been published and gone on to become a sensation Okay, uh, you know what it needed, and this is this is not necessarily for you, but I, you'll understand it. Your wife will definitely understand it. There's an episode called uh, like the Doctor and Vincent. Okay. I, she made me watch that. Episode. Okay, so exactly, yeah. this is that moment. You need 1900, like years later, like maybe he jumped from boat to boat to boat or whatever, and then he doesn't understand his impact. Like, yes, maybe he played happy birthday for the little girl on the boat, first time traveling with her parents, or the old drunk who's at the bar and he plays a song that, you know, brings back like flooded, happy memories. If he were to get off that boat and finally realize like how much his music has actually impacted, if that record was not broken and sent out and he sees the impact that his life had actually had much like Vincent and the doctor, I think that would have been so beautiful and impactful and tragic. If Max finds him on the boat and, you know, he's like, Oh, the world's too big. And there's like, you know, all these fans out on the dock. Uh, or, you know, if he touched the life of that girl with his music and she is the one that's looking for him with Max, there just, there seems, there, there needs to be, it's like diving into the kiddie pool. Like I'm just, I'm breaking my neck, just trying to think of this movie and, and why, why it is the way it is, (laughs) uh, why it ended the way it is. Um, because I feel like. With the the structure, the bones, the groundwork of it, it could have been something fantastic and heart touching. Sure, um, but I ultimately feel like it just it fell extremely flat, mm. um, which is unfortunate. Yeah, especially with its running time. <laughs> uh, well, uh, what would you what would you give this a rating of? How many keys are on a piano? I don't know. I don't know how many keys are on a piano. Well, I know there are three pedals. I'll give it one out of three. <laughs> Let's see here. Number of keys on a piano. There are 88 keys on a piano. I'd give it eight out of 88. Eight? <laughs> Damn. Um, I think simply for the the music set design and... Uh, a little bit of the acting that really kind of like got me into it literally for about 90 minutes where I didn't realize there was still an hour left. Uh, 
I'm going to I'm going to generously give it three out of five because I don't find a huge deal at fault with it aside from the plot. Yeah. And, and you know, it's not like, uh, you know, we I need explosions and car crashes <laughs> uh, or, or anything. I mean, for Christ's sakes, we did a man called Uwe. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, this movie, I just I don't know. I still don't know how to feel about it. Mm. Um, and again, it's not something I feel that I'm going to watch again to try to find out. Yeah. I may listen uh, to the soundtrack again, but yeah, no, I, I certainly would. Uh, uh, you, you watching anything these days, Drew, or you did you, you already did that. The other well, we, Br- my, my friend Brad and I, everyone, you can go back to our, uh, what are you watching part 17? Brad and I were discussing things from the winter break viewing as well as, uh, some other new movies. Uh, we also, kind of went down the rabbit hole and talked about 2022's The Menu. I, we, my wife and I, adored that movie. I liked it. I liked it. There's There's some continuity errors with it and stuff, but I liked it. I loved the satirical nature, and I said that a lot on the episode, but that's exactly what it is. It's a satire. I enjoyed it. It is Ray Fiennes, right? Yes. Uh, Ray Fiennes, who one of my favorite roles of all time is him playing M. Gustav in um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Uh, But I adored that movie greatly. Uh, There were a couple couple oddball movies that I watched this week. Uh, One of them was a a movie with uh, Mel Gibson, uh, Charlie Hoonan, and uh, Moraine... Bakarin, or Morena Bakarin, called uh, Last Looks, uh, where hmm. Charlie Hoonan plays a disgraced cop uh, that is sort of pulled in as a private investigator for uh, Mel Gibson is accused of his wife's death. And Mel Gibson plays this this famous actor who is a blackout drunk who also has this uh, Colonel Sanders facial hair going on. <laughs> I thought it was it was absolutely just a, a wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, I also watched a Mel Gibson film that recently came out. It's called On the Line. And he one. plays a radio host who's kind of just like, you know, he, he's an asshole, but he says it like it is. And he talks to the the dregs of society at like, you know, two in the morning and whatnot. And some dude calls on and says, like, oh, I'm going to do something terrible tonight. I, I'm at this guy's house and. You know, I think I'm just going to go in and destroy his life. And he's like, oh, come on. You don't want to do that. He's like, really? But it's your house. And then it goes from there where someone's trying to destroy his life. But the entire time the guy on the line is like, you need to own up to what you did. You need to, like, you know, admit that you're at fault. And then I, throughout the entire movie, I'm, I'm into it. The ending, I'm even more into it. But the last five minutes of that movie pissed me off. And, it, and, it, and I would have given it like a strong three and three out of five. It went down to two and a half just for the last five minutes. So last weekend we watched uh, two back to back scary movies. The first one was uh, uh, Pray for the Devil, which was P-R-E-Y mm-hmm. for the devil. I hear it's not that so good. It wasn't that great. OK, uh, but I would watch a sequel. trailer looks good. I'd though. watch a sequel. The other one which we did watch was Smile. Oh, yeah. Which was, I thought 95% of the movie was wonderful. I don't feel like they stick the ending well. Uh, but everything going through that and leading up to the end, I, I thought was great. Smile's good. 
for like it. It had some of the best jump scares. I had one of my coworkers and uh, her husband over to watch it. She jumped from my couch up and she's like, I almost peed. Oh, my God. <laughs> We we really enjoyed Smile, and then uh, I finished a uh, a series this week where I actually I started it uh, working from home in mm. the morning, and it was so good that I didn't go to bed till I finished it that night. It oh. was Andrew Garfield's Under the Banner of Heaven, which is hmm. on Hulu. I think it was on FX originally. It came okay. out this past year, but uh, Andrew Garfield is uh, is a police detective near Salt Lake City. He's also a devout Mormon. And it is about uh, these these killings that that occurred that him and his uh, officer, his partner, have to investigate. His uh, partner is a gentleman named Gil Birmingham, which uh, he plays the casino owner from Yellowstone. He also plays the um, the father, the Indian father, the slaying girl from Wind River, which is also one of my great my favorite movies. Great flick. Uh, and I really did enjoy that mm. series it it was engaging and the play between the two where you know gil birmingham is the uh you know the the unbelieving descendant of a paiute indian uh against the you know the very mormon mm. uh you know the the interplay between the two of them was actually kind of comical at times but uh mm. very very good series uh i wish i had watched it earlier when it came out but folks uh i highly recommend it if you are into those sort of true detective darker sort of uh uh true crime sort of documentary things because it is based off of real events that occurred in the 80s and it does take place in the 80s which oh okay gotcha uh, something too so that that was also very good all right but uh so what do we have coming up for us drew coming up will be episode if this keeps track uh episode 127 which will be for my magic and sorcery genre Mm, oh i mean those are good things they are good things magic i like sorcery (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it'll be fun and then uh after that it'll be uh back to you for your last one anime, anime. and then nathan will give us science fiction and then i'll yeah, just blanket sci-fi just blanket sci-fi it's open it's it's and then we'll be anything. going into uh and then i'll round off with mummy movies <laughs> and then we'll be uh heading into what um season six yeah but it will be trevor's <laughs> <laughs> it'll be trevor's again <laughs> it'll be it'll be uh trimmer's uh a cold day in hell because i think the was the last one where the the prequel i think we did yes we did all right yeah so it'll be uh trimmers a cold day in hell is what we will be watching uh at the beginning of season six so Mm. yeah so guys thank you for joining us for this patreon special once again thanks to our patrons over there and supporting the real folks podcast you guys truly are the realest if you guys want to be part of the real feels fam and uh, get some awesome swag maybe even pick a movie for us to reveal you can head on over to patreon or go to the show notes uh, a link is there for you as well you can hit us up on facebook and instagram you can search for us up on twitter we are at real feels pod send us an email at realfillspodcast at gmail.com or of course Call the Tooch line, 661-376-0030. Tooch us. Please, tooch me. Tooch me. I just want to be tooched. 
And guys, coming up in May, May, mark your calendars now. Live stream for The Cure is going to be coming back with our friend Nicholas Haskins of Nikolai's Kitchen. And once again, we're going to be raising money for the Cancer Research Institute. And uh, hey, you know what? Hoping for a world that's cancer-free. Yes, you. <laughs> so, as always, you're the realist. And the feelist. <laughs> I got no tagline now. <laughs> Good music, though. Stop.